Hello and welcome to Think Business Futures. I'm your host, Stefan Postuma, coming to you from two SER studios in Sydney on the Gadigal land of the Eora Nation. Broadcast right around Australia on the Community Radio Network and around the world, wherever you get your podcasts. Each week, we take a closer look at the business issues making up the news. This program is made possible by the assistance of the UTS Business School. For those experiencing any form of abuse, identifying one's situation and seeking help can be a real challenge. But what if you're unsure that you're being abused? Today on the show, we're talking about economic or financial abuse, a method of control and coercion that involves the stripping away of a person's financial independence. This relatively hidden form of abuse is more common than many think. So how does economic abuse manifest? What are some of the structural reasons as to why it's allowed to occur? And what can victims, as well as governments and institutions, do to identify and prevent economic abuse? To help answer these questions, I'm joined today by Cathy Walsh, Professor of Finance and Masters of Financial Planning Course Director at the UTS Business School. Cathy, thank you so much for joining me today here on Think Business Futures. Thank you so much for having me. All right, to start off very simply, because you know this is something that I was pretty unfamiliar with entering my research. What is economic abuse? Okay, so economic abuse is a form of family violence. That's where it usually shows up. It's a repeated pattern of behaviour, often occurring sort of between partners or especially intimate partners or family members. Uh, And when you think about abuse, normally you think about physical abuse or even emotional abuse. But if you have the situation where someone's withholding money from you or withholding your ability to spend household finances or refusing to help you or to include you in any financial decisions, this actually can be a form of um, economic abuse. Okay, well, tell me about some of the different dimensions of economic abuse and actually how it manifests, because as I understand it, there are a lot of different aspects to this. There certainly are. And I think how it manifests is very slow and quite subtle. In fact, the people who are being economically abused may not even realise today that they are in that situation. So it's a, I think you might have heard the frog in the boiling water analogy, where if you put a, a frog into a pot of cold water and then heat it up slowly, it won't know whether to jump out. It doesn't actually feel the increase in temperature until it's too late. Whereas if you throw a a frog into a vat of boiling water, it would jump straight out again and have a chance of survival. And I think when it comes to economic abuse, this is a big issue because it starts off slow. It starts off saying, well, this is just a family budget. This is how we're going to control things. And I'm going to have access to the bank accounts and we'll give you some money to do the day-to-day living. And then slowly over time that gets reduced and your ability to make decisions and and participate in usually in this situation in the family financial decision-making is restricted over time. And if you don't notice it until it's too late, you really lose power and you, you lose the ability to actually challenge those decisions because when they happen incrementally, they sound quite reasonable and they can be easily manipulated into making decisions that are detrimental to yourself. Does this usually stem from the beginnings of relationships? I mean, how does, how does it evolve? Because I'd make the assumption that in order to commit economic abuse, you'd have to be the one controlling the finances. Is it usually an imbalance of power and financial equity in a relationship from the start? 
Not necessarily. I think sometimes people might start off, if you think of a couple who starts in a relationship and then they choose to have children, at the beginning they may have equally shared their finances, but then at some point along the way one becomes the person earning the money and the other becomes the carer at home and that then creates the imbalance in power. So it doesn't necessarily start from the get-go. I think, in fact, if it did start from the beginning when you first got into a relationship, you might recognise it more clearly. Right. part the way through, you could sort of be manipulated into thinking this is just a budgeting technique or this is just what we do with family finances. And if you don't have a, a high degree of what we call financial literacy or if you don't have a lot of experience actually dealing with finances, it might be something you don't even see the red flag coming along. Right. And so I guess what we're talking about mostly, and please correct me if I'm wrong, but it's a control of family finances and a restriction of a person's access to those finances for the major part. Are there any other types of economic abuse that take place in relationships that don't have this restriction of access to funds dynamic? I would say there's two things. One's it's controlling your access to money. That's a big part of it. But also using your money or your family money without consent or without your knowledge. Mm. And I think that's where you have this sort of split finances between the families. But it can also move to things like signing legal documents or forcing you to sign legal documents. If you're in a situation where you're suddenly being asked to sign over joint bank accounts or you're asked to take out a mortgage or you're asked to extend a loan and this is something you're not really familiar with. Example, wills, if you're asked to then sign a will that actually pays something over to another person and you're not really comfortable and you're not really clear as to what the consequences of signing those documents are, then that could be part of a financial abusive relationship. So I don't think it's necessarily just the money. It's the entire economic situation and putting you in a situation where these decisions will have a detrimental effect to you. And that doesn't necessarily mean something today. This could be something down the line. Now, this is not necessarily financial abuse, but you have a lot of situations where money for superannuation is paid into one partner's fund and not into the other partners, especially if one is a stay-at-home parent. But if you see that sort of inflated to different types where there's bank accounts that's been held in one person's name and the ability to actually access that is restricted for the other person, you might not even find out the entire extent of your family finances until you're in a position where you're actually leaving the financial situation or leaving the family situation. Yeah, it's a very important point to make. And I think that when you were talking about sort of these legal relationships and legal documents and things like that, I mean, I'm one of those people that when it comes to things like wills and property contracts and all that sort of stuff, there is a lot of legal jargon in there that I don't even really bother reading. So placing an onus on people to read and understand that sort of thing, especially if they're in a position where they're kind of in those, let's call it the lukewarm stages of the frog in the pot, where they don't really know it's yet going on, but maybe it's starting to take shape, you know, reading documents and understanding it and, and, and trying to point out mistakes or, you know, places where there's a lack of fairness or, or or equity in those types of things is really, really challenging. So yeah, it's definitely an important point to make. Let's talk about prevalence. How prevalent is it? Oh, the numbers are sort of all over the place. It's a difficult one to report because if you don't know you're being financially abused, it's a bit hard to admit that you, um, or to actually quantify or qualify that you actually have financial abuse in the system. So there's a few different ways of measuring it. The ABS did a survey in 2012, it's been a little while now, where they asked a bunch of questions like, has someone stopped 
or tried to stop you knowing about household money or having access to household money? Um, have they stopped you from working? Have they deprived you of basic needs? Have they damaged or just destroyed any of your property? So they're asking very specific questions on that. Mm. When they did this analysis, they found that the prevalence of abuse was sort of around about the 11% level, but it was as low as 7% for men and I think as high as about 15% for women. But other reports I've seen that maybe take a different view of what financial abuse is and how it's defined show that for women especially, it can be one in four women. So that's 25% of women can be in a financial abuse situation. And I think just picking up on what you said earlier, the problem is it's not in a silo. You're not thinking of financial abuse independently. It's this compounding impact of having it aligned with coercive behaviour or another type of violence in the family if you're in a situation where you don't really understand how the documents work when you're reading wills or you're signing loan documents and you're in the bank and you're in a coercive situation with your partner, it's very easy for them to manipulate it into thinking, well, you don't really understand this, so let me handle this for you. Let me sign. Let me answer the questions. Let me be the only one who participates in any of the financial discussions. So when it's combined with something else, it's really difficult. And one of the things actually they said in that ABS survey, there was a group of people from RMIT who did a lot of literature on this, and they were saying that if you took it on its own, you might be looking sort of, you know, between the 7 and 15%, depending um, if it's male or females. But if you're looking at women who are already in the domestic abuse situation, 63% of them would also be financially abused. Yeah. Now, that's yeah. a huge statistic. So if you actually look at back down to not the general population, but just people who are already in a domestic violence or, a, or an abusive situation, that's when um, financial abuse comes really to the fore. Are there any red flags? Are there any ways that people can recognise this type of controlling behaviour? I think it's just the questions you have to ask yourself. Like, is anyone taking money? Do you feel comfortable with them taking money? Have your savings sort of depleted? Are you questioning how much money your partner's earning and is that actually translating into the, the household? Are you asked to transfer money out of your account or withdraw money in cash on regular occasions? But it could be something as simple as, do you know what your finances are? If I ask you today, how much would you have in the bank account as a family? How much would your partner have in superannuation? How much do you think your house is worth? If you can't answer those questions, then you need to go to the next step and say, am I being sort of prevented from knowing this information? And with financial abuse, it can come the whole spectrum. It could be something as simple as you don't even have a bank account in your name. The only bank account you have is one that's restricted by your partner. If you don't have adequate access to day-to-day -day needs, then that would be raising some flags for me that you don't actually have enough control of your own finances. Now, of course, in a situation where you are paying off a mortgage or you're struggling with kids in school, there's going to be points in time when you, as a family, you are really restricted on how much you can spend and you are having to make some tough decisions. So I'm not talking about a situation where you've got some really tight budgeting. I'm talking about a situation where you personally in the relationship have a restriction on how much you can spend, but the other person has a lot more freedom. And that imbalance is, I think, the biggest red flag. Mm, okay. You mentioned that statistic when it comes to domestic abuse, violent behaviour, and how many of those who experience domestic violence also experience this economic abuse. They also interlink in another way. Tell us about how economic abuse affects people's ability to leave violent relationships, for example. 
Oh, that's a huge situation. There's a report coming out from Anne Summers next month. The big thing she's actually highlighting is a lot of people have to make a choice between violence or poverty Mm. because you're in an abusive relationship, but the choice to leave at the very beginning means that you don't actually have the funds to walk away. And if you've got children, there's a chance you're going to choose violence over poverty because you just don't know how to how to um, see past that. If you're in a situation where you don't have access to your accounts, you don't have access to the family finances and you want to leave, your avenues to actually move out of the family home, especially with your children, are greatly reduced. Okay. If you've just tuned in, you're listening to Think Business Futures here on 2SER 107.3. I'm your host, Stefan Postumer, and I'm joined by Kathy Walsh from the UTS Business School. And we're talking about financial and economic abuse. Now, Kathy, let's move a little bit. We've been talking mostly about intimate partner financial abuse. What's elder financial abuse and how is it different? Mm. That's a really interesting one because with intimate partner abuse, it's usually between, you know, obviously you and your partner and it's a sort of willing relationship you're getting into. With elder abuse, you've got this extra layer of what I would think is more of a conflict of interest. You're trusting somebody with an enduring power of attorney, for example. So I'm in a situation where I'm thinking that at some point in my life, I'm going to have difficulty making decisions. So I put in place an enduring power of attorney that means that my son or my daughter have the ability to make decisions if I'm incapable of making decisions. And this is a really smart thing to do. Everyone should think about what would happen if they couldn't make financial decisions. You'd want to have someone you trusted make those decisions for you. So this is something we should all have in place from a younger age. Don't just think about it when you're um, sort of heading to the sort of the post-retirement age. But there's this issue what you have here. You need to make it very clear what your wishes are because financial abuse with elders, it's not wiping out your bank account. It's not stealing your money. It's the person who you should trust making decisions that are to your detriment. Mm. And that could be putting you in a nursing home when you have the capability of living in your own home and paying for the services. But as you can imagine, that would deplete your net worth And if the person who has your enduring power of attorney is also the person who's going to be receiving the bulk of your will, then there's that conflict. Let's talk about how it affects other segments of the population. Now, disability is something that increases in prevalence over lifespan. How does economic abuse affect those people with disability in proportion to other segments of the population? The report from the ABS also highlighted disability being an issue. I can't remember the exact number, but I think it was increased almost by twofold for people with disability having sort of a more a higher prevalence of financial abuse. And as you can imagine, too, this would be particularly the case with people who have intellectual disabilities. In a similar sort of situation where you have elder abuse, you have someone, if you have intellectual disabilities, that you are trusting to make decisions for you. And if that trust is violated or there's a conflict of interest that underlines that trust, It's something that can be very easily manipulated to make it look like they're making decisions in your best interest, but they're not. Okay, let's shift again and talk about the issue more broadly. As I mentioned at the top of the show, this is something that I've only really started learning about. I mean, once you start thinking about it, it makes a lot of sense. And I mean, I can even think of warning signs between people that I already know. However, it's not a big issue that's at the forefront of public attention, definitely not as much as things like physical abuse. Why has this not received the level of attention maybe it needs to? Two reasons. 
one would be that people don't actually know they're being financially abused or economically abused. And that's a really interesting thing that you don't even realise until you're perhaps out of the situation mm. that you've been in that situation in the first place. So that's an important point. But I think that we still have this stigma about talking about money. I suppose we do as well talking about relationships, but it's a bit harder to, to hide a black eye. It's much easier to hide a bank account. Sure. So it's something that could be passed off as, a, no, that's just saving for the family. That's not financial abuse. The fact that we only give you $100 to do the grocery shopping for a family of four, but I have $500 to spend on a night out with friends, that's an entirely reasonable thing to do. In that situation, you could argue, yes, there's obviously something going on there, but it's not as clear cut. Whereas I think with physical abuse, it's something that if somebody strikes you, they've obviously passed a line. Obviously, when it comes to emotional abuse and all the other levels of family abuse, it's not as clear cut. And But you have variations of this. Financial abuse is because it's so difficult to define or so difficult to identify, it means that people don't even know they're in that situation. Mm, I think also one thing that I read, I'll just, I'll just quote it here. It says, Victims are unlikely to see themselves as victims and are unlikely to identify with domestic violence services or websites unless other forms of abuse are occurring. Do you want to just expand on this point a little bit um, in terms of economic abuse, it being a subtle form of abuse and Mm. how difficult it is to deal with? One of the big issues is, first of all, you don't actually know it, but you're a bit embarrassed by it as well. So you've got a roof over your head, your kids are being fed, everything else is going fine. But you obviously are quite nervous about your future um, prospects because you don't have any access to the family funds or money's been spent in a way that could be your assets, but spent in a way that is detrimental to you personally. So how you actually, I suppose, get through this, I think the big thing would be staying in touch with people that you trust and not being afraid to talk about any concerns you have. That's a big one. In a situation where you're going under financial abuse, they're counting part of the sort of strategic play that financial abusers have is they're isolating you from other people. And so you don't think that you're being financially abused. You don't even think that you're in an abusive relationship. You're just lost and you're worried about finances. So this is where you need to have trusted friends. Don't listen to the manipulator that your friends are out against you or your friends don't know what they're talking about. Keep people in your life that you can trust and be open and honest about your situation. Having said that, I've been through this just recently with um, with somebody and it's taken many, many years for me to sort of um, help them understand that they are in a, an abusive relationship because it's very easy when you're happy in a relationship and you're being manipulated to just believe everything's okay. Mm. What you mentioned earlier about the difference between physical abuse and and economic abuse, it is hard to talk about money and it is hard to talk about money with your loved ones as well, you know, with, with the people that you would ordinarily reach out to about issues that you're having in your relationship when money is the thing, is, is sort of the linchpin that you're talking about and you're in a position where you don't have enough of it, I can see where, you know, feelings of shame and embarrassment creep in and make it so much more difficult for people to talk about and even to, you know, access those third-party services that might be able to provide some help. And this, this is the thing too because reaching out and asking for those third-party support, you have, to, you have to admit that you're in this situation. If you've been financially abused and probably you've been told that you don't actually have the financial literacy in order to understand this. 
and you don't actually have the ability to read these documents. So you're thinking, oh, well, maybe I don't. Maybe I believe this abuser that I am in a situation that I, I don't really understand this and my lack of education is the problem. So that's them putting it back on you and making you feel inferior you're unlikely to reach out to um, to support surfaces. Mm. But one of the good things that a lot of the banks now are really taking a big step in this responsibility. If you think about it, they are the ones who have access to all of your transactions. They're starting to use fantastic processes like AI to detect changes in how um, transactions work and see whether they can pick up patterns of um, abusive behaviour. I saw a report I think from National Australia Bank, where they've now got a system of highlighting if people are transferring money and there are abusive messages in the text between the transfer that they can actually jump in there and identify Mm -hmm. them and pick up an instance of financial abuse. But the banks are really jumping on this. They've got a lot of really good processes. They're working really hard with the authorities to try and direct people in the right direction. I had a situation recently where I talked to someone, they said, They went in to get some money out of the bank and they'd be taking money out probably, you know, four or five thousand dollars every few weeks for a few weeks. But it's just because they were dealing with renovations and tradies who are in demand. So they were paying them in cash, which is probably not appropriate. But let's put that aside. After the third transaction, the bank manager came and had a quiet word and said, can I just talk to you on your own? I just want to make sure no one's asking you to take this money out, that you're not being forced And I thought that was a really, I mean, that was only one incident, but that's the type of approach the banks are taking. Mm, How can we protect our customers? Because if they don't even know they're being financially abused, maybe we're the ones to have that quiet conversation with them. But it must be on their own. It must be in a way that they can be receptive to the information. Right. Well, I mean, that is promising to hear that banks are on the front foot and awareness is occurring. And we'll come back to some of the other things that can be done to help reduce or help address this this problem of financial or economic abuse. But let's talk quickly about the structural barriers and, and other sort of failures of the system which have allowed this to occur, maybe starting with childcare here in Australia. Child, the cost of childcare, of course, is, yeah. is incredibly expensive. And if you have a situation where you're in an intimate relationship and you're the person, generally, I don't like to make this gendered, but a lot of situations, this is the woman who's the stay-at-home mother and then they want to return to work, but childcare is so expensive, there's a chance you're going to say, well, it's too expensive to send the kids to childcare, so it's not economically viable for you to go back to work. And you listen to that and you say, okay, well, let's let's work through that. But then by the time you do want to return to work and the kids are already at school, you've missed out on so much opportunity for your career that it's difficult for you to get back at, at previous levels. So financial abuse can be as simple as someone stopping you from trying to get work because they're making an argument that it's not the best for the family or they're not giving you the opportunity to pay for childcare for your children. Mm. Are there any other structural barriers we can identify? Well, I think the fact that superannuation has still got a big issue with the women not being adequately, we're not adequately planning for their superannuation because you're in a relationship with your partner and there's an assumption that you're going to stay through to forever. But it's almost like we need to flip that on its head and say, let's make the assumption that you're only going to stay together for five years. Is your superannuation going to be enough? And obviously the answer is no. So Mm. what do you do today? So rather than saying let's plan for the best case scenario, let's plan for the worst case scenario. Let's take off those rose-coloured glasses and admit the fact that there's a high divorce rate 
And this will be detrimental to women if they don't have enough superannuation. So while we're in this happy time of relationship, and hopefully that will last, spread the love around. Put some money into your partner's superannuation account and make sure that they're going to be adequately invested for for retirement should you not be around. Let's finish off by talking about some of the other things that can be done. Where does legislation come into this and, mm. and what role can the government play? I mean, at least you know that financial abuse and coercive behaviour is legislated as a crime. Proving it is a whole different issue. So I think the issue we've got is how do we actually differentiate between tight budgeting from a family or genuine decisions from a family and this financial abuse. It's a difficult thing to prove. So I think we need to move more towards the how do we as individuals protect ourselves to make sure that we are not in that situation. And that would be things like staying in touch with the people you know and you trust. Do you have a place where you've stored all your documents and your account logins and it's safe and secure? If you have to think about that, if all the logins are actually in your partner's name, that could be a red flag as well. But the big thing I would say, just don't ever sign documents you don't understand. Don't listen to someone who says, oh, that's okay, I understand this, it's fine. Get independent advice. And as much as I wish, I'm the director of the Master of Financial Planning at UTS, and I wish everybody had access to um, financial advice. But if you're in a situation of financial abuse, you're unlikely to have sort of much exposure Mm. beyond bank accounts. But if you are in a situation and say you're our financial planner and you're dealing with people, you have a responsibility of a planner to make sure the entire family is is involved in those financial planning decisions. You can't just be talking to one part of the family. Okay. Finally, what can people who are experiencing this, I mean, say someone's listening to this and is kind of starting to think, all right, well, here's some red flags. I, 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 can, I can relate to some of the things that are being talked about. What can people do to get help currently? If you go to the um, Money Smart website, uh, the government one, they've got a few links there you can look at. But I would say the first place would be start with your bank. If you go to your local bank and have a chat to them, because, you know, if you're in some dire situation, you're going to call Lifeline, you're going to call Triple Zero, you're going to call Relationships Australia, trying to get an understanding of where you're standing. But if you're just unsure whether you're in a situation where you are undergoing financial abuse, have a chat to your bank about what would be about your situation and whether or not there's something they can do to help you get control of your finances. And I think that's probably a step you're more likely to take than to sort of, you know, go to a um, sort of a triple O situation or if you're in, in danger or go to a Relationships Australia because you're not identifying this as a problem with your relationship, even though it probably is. So if you start with your bank and get them to help you sort of guide you into making the right decisions, I think that's the best place. And if you're unbanked, if you don't actually have access to the bank account, most of the big banks will actually help you whether you're a bank um, customer or not. I think this is part of their sort of commitment to the community. Oh, okay. Another organisation I'll mention there is the National Sexual Assault Domestic Family Violence Counselling Service. You can call them on 1800RESPECT or go to their website, 1800RESPECT.org.au. And they actually have a financial abuse support toolkit on their website too, so there's more information there. I think that, um, yeah, when it comes to these sorts of issues, the first step in the right direction is just identifying you're in that position and taking one small step, whatever it may be. Um it's a bit of a hidden issue, Kathy, and I really appreciate you coming on the show to talk about it. Thank you so much for joining me today here on Think Business Futures. Oh, no problem at all. Thank you so much for having me. 
Thank you for joining us for another episode of Think Business Futures. Thank you to my guest, Kathy Walsh. You can listen and share this chat wherever you get your podcasts. Don't forget to subscribe to get Think Business Futures in your feed each week. And please support the show by leaving a review. I'm your host, Stefan Postuma, and I'll see you again somewhere in the world of business next week.